Welcome, freaks, to Radical Research episode 62. Let's introduce Hunter again, um, who tends to be here every episode. I, you know, I do my best to make it, Jeff. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. Glad I can't, to be here. I can't get any other guests. You know, it's just, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, always, I'm always calling on you. <laughs> no, you're my co-host, and I, and I can't do this without you. And um, couldn't have done the intro without you. That was your daughter, Ella, covering our intro. And uh, which is not only apropos, but rather cute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so thanks to her for that. And thank you. We have always really appreciated things like Judas Priest, Diamonds and Rust on Sin After Sin, uh, Celtic Frost, Mexican Radio and Into the Pandemonium. Cover songs are a thorny, thorny area, uh, especially when you put them on your album of otherwise original tunes. I would say it usually doesn't work out so well. They're often tacked on, but that's not what this episode is about, is it? No, it is not. In fact, usually that's exactly what a cover song is for a band. Even when done well, it's a novelty. It's the B-side of a single. It's um, tagged on to the compilation or maybe an EP. And sometimes it's just stuck on the end of a record, uh, maybe to pad it out, give it a little more perceived substance. But sometimes a band is able to graft onto a cover song um, its own identity um, and, in essence, make it its own song. Yep. Um, and that's what this show is all about. This show is about cover songs that are so tightly integrated into records that they sound like a, a, a song written by the band for that particular record. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's nothing uh, more interesting, I think, than when there, there is a cover song and it's worked into the fabric of an album sequence in a way that's kind of indispensable where had that been taken out and you were just going with all the originals, you'd feel like you lost something after, Absolutely. after getting to know that album, you know? So we're interested in these, in these covers, this episode, you know, that, that do make the album, that do slot in there as if they were originals. We just heard I Love the World by Anna Cruzis from their um, third album, Manic Compressions from 1991, originally by New Model Army. And it's funny because this was a, a basically a contemporary of Anna Cruzis, not genre-wise, but certainly uh, this song came out in 89. So, so they were taking a song that was only two years old from an album called Thunder and Consolation. And... Um, 
running with it. And they was it's, it's the second song on Manic Impressions, which is quite bold. It's yes, right up front. And there it is, and it fits right into that album. That's that album's kind of steely, cold vibe, um, right. but, but also this kind of emotive quality comes through as well. Uh, what, what are your, your thoughts are on this? Because not only, of course, are you an Ant- Anna Cruz's fan as well, but uh, you are familiar with the New Model Army album. I'm a New Model Army fan. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, so I knew the Anna Cruz's version probably five or six years before I had ever heard the New Model Army um, version. So, and, and in fact, um, back in those days, I believe I was 12, the quality of my research was uh, rather less radical than it is now. Um, so I just thought it was an Anacrusis song because, and this uh, sort of gives credence to our claim here, it, it, it was so well-placed, the atmosphere was so consistent with the rest of the album that I think I could have been forgiven for um, not knowing otherwise. But the thing about it is New Model Army, also an extremely uh, emotional band uh, led by um, singer and guitarist Justin Sullivan, and especially around this time, just firing on all cylinders. But there's a very uh, steely and um, sort of, they're a complex band in the sense that they're, very, very earnest. Um, their um, music is very, very political, but there's also sort of a cold distance to it at the same time. Yep. Um, and and that's exact. I think those two things really characterize uh, Manic Impressions. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I can see, you know, uh, Ken Nardi and the rest of the guys in Anna Cruz's um, relating to New Model Army for those very reasons, you know, right. the, the political thing, the emotional thing. Yeah, I, I could see the guys that made the, the Reason album going, oh my God, check this out. And then like, oh, we got to cover it. And, you know, I'm not really sure why they took the move of putting it second. I always think that's pretty bold to put it way up front, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's like Mexican radio. Um, you know, yeah, it's just like, yeah. You know, it's it's the salvo. But yeah, it, it, it takes real... Um, real guts to do that but it works and it shows how similar those bands are at least it shows some of the parallels that they share and um you know it's funny because i tend to like covers that reinvent a song you know um i don't think anna cruz's reinvents this song i just think it works for them and it works for the for the manic impressions album and they and they used it and great can't really say the same thing for the next song this was a complete reworking uh, Man for Man's Earth Band. We're going to jump to that. We're going to jump to this great prog period of of the great Earth Band. Uh, we've I'm actually, glad it was you reworking. Well, yes, because <laughs> Father of Night. Uh, it was originally a uh, about a ninety second song, the shortest Bob Dylan had ever covered up to that point. Um, uh, it appeared on his nineteen seventy album New Morning, and that's about as much as we would probably ever say about Dylan on this show. Because I'll say one more thing. He should always be limited to 90 seconds. <laughs> well, you know, to be fair, or just to be kind of objective, Dylan is like a Leonard Cohen where you're, you're a writer. You're, you're, not right. a, you're not a singer. So let's just say that. But, but this song, Father of Night, is so interesting because Dylan's interpretation, it's very short. It's, 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 um, it's, it's really, there's really nothing to adorn it. And it's an interpretation, his interpretation of a Jewish prayer, Amida. What Man from Man's Earth Band did 
was take it and significantly rework it. Uh, it's got a running time of nearly 10 minutes and it's a song that opens one of their albums, uh, the Solar Fire album from 1973. Protracted and turned into a cosmic epic prog song, um, featuring some stunning vocals, um, always beautiful keyboard arrangements, uh, soaring crystal guitar lines, just everything that we love. Somehow, in the most curious way, extracted um, from this little kernel. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because we didn't really feature a lot of the vocal on that part. I, it's 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 one of these songs, you know, in its ten minutes where we could feature any two minutes of it and uh, have a great moment. And um, you know, like you said, there are some stunning vocals on this. In fact, as it opens the album, as the vocals come in, you know, it's it's really really wonderful, um, kind of spine tingling sort of stuff. You know, hair on the on the back of your neck sort of stuff. We heard you know something that was a little more musical oriented and and you know and and here they are they're stretching uh you know the the very sort of 
humble foundation that Dylan laid down and making it their own. And that's the whole point of this. And um, yeah, man, it, and it just, and it captures the vibe of the solar fire album. Right. Um, definitely Absolutely. One of, one of their most cosmic, one of their strongest. Uh, one of my favorite man for man albums. Oh, easily. And, and um, it fits just right in here. And, it almost threatens to overtake the originals, but thankfully that album holds up, you know, from A to Z, really. We can't recommend Solar Fire enough. Shall we move on? Let's. Yeah, we're going to do uh, something, another song that has quite a story behind it uh, in its original form as well. Um, Anathema's Hope from the Eternity album, which came out in late 1996. Really got to hold back both of us, I think, to turn this into three hours fawning over anathema i think most of our <laughs> most of our listeners know we're huge fans and especially the eternity albums one of those it's way high up there for both of us but four or five songs in into eternity there's this curious little spoken word part uh and it's spoken by a guy named roy harper this spoken word bit actually was called bad speech on an album of harper's from 1985 called whatever happened to jugula and uh, I don't think that's anything about Juggalos. I think that was pre-Juggalo, thankfully. Oh, that's disappointing. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you know, not to let the cat out of the bag too much, but our next episode is going to be all about Insane Clown Posse. All of that ICP. The demo what period. The fuck is a rock? <laughs> Clocks, how do they work? Uh, <laughs> but um, anyway, so, so Harper does this thing called Bad Speech. It wasn't credited as such on the Anathema album. They just called it Hope. Uh, but then it slides right into Hope, which is the way it, it happened on the Harper album from 1985. So clearly the Anathema are huge fans and uh, they got Harper in to do the actual speech there, the little poem, the quite nonsensical poem that's still sort of beautiful in its own way. Also, yeah, very moving too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I think it's one of the, it's, it's one of those poems that's, that's it's intent and it's emotion just comes through in the voice. It doesn't really matter sort of what, you know, what words are being laid down in front of the other. Cause there, there is some nonsense in, in that, you know, and I yeah, think it's interesting is. that it's called bad speech, but it is, it's moving in, in this really deep way as well, which you hope anything on an anathema album is it's what they do. You know, they just really kind of get to the core. And then they get into hope. And this, this song has a decidedly Pink Floydish kind of vibe to it, uh, I suppose in part because it's co-written by David Gilmore.
droplets on the leaves. That was Hope by Anathema, originally by Roy Harper, featured on Anathema's either late 1996, early 1997. I think it's 1997, really. Technically late 96. Yeah. In, it's in, a 97 record for in, me. In Europe. Yeah. 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 But well, you know, but, I'm more of, I'm, I'm a bigger fan. So I got it in 96 and you, you were just like, yeah, back, sure. Lackadaisical yeah. as fuck about it and waited. For I was me. like, yeah, I'll get it. I'll get it when I get it. <laughs> I'll <laughs> been to best, best buy and get that thing. <laughs> anyway. Anywho, um, that song comes almost directly in the middle of the record. Um, and knowing Anathema, that's a very deliberate thing. And e- Eternity is an album of, uh, of modulations. Um, it moves from hope to despair and all points in between. And again, having listened to the record cold the first time, um, I actually thought, especially because I, I was so arrested by the, the progress that the band had made, mm. um, that I assumed that it was a new original anathema tune. Sure. Um, a, you know, a, a cursory glance at the liner notes subsequent to that first listen uh, disabused me of that. But um, it, it, again, it slides perfectly into it. And, and I think that um, this is one of those moments where you really hear Vinny coming into his own as a vocalist. Oh, definitely. I, and I like how undisciplined he sounds. Like he hasn't found it yet or he hasn't nailed it yet. And I like when uh, a vocalist is sort of in that realm where you're still searching and um, you can hear, I'm not going to say his voice crack a little bit, but he's, he's stretching a little bit. You know, he's trying to reach certain notes that might at this point be tough for him that, that maybe four or five years later would have been, you know, a cinch. And um, I and like- he's already moving pretty far. I, I think when I first heard this though, I, I was um, impressed by how far along he'd come since Silent Enigma. Oh God, yeah, um, yeah, it's a huge leap from his first, you know, album. The, the but yeah, but I love, band. yeah, I, I'm with you. I love the the ambition and the passion in his voice on this. I also think he's vulnerable, and with yep. music like Anathema's, which is so open and uh, you know about stirring emotion, I think first and foremost, uh, especially in this period and and later, um, you know, I like I like hearing a vulnerable singer in vulnerable music. You know, sure. uh, I think it works really well and, and hope kind of lays all that bare. Um, I think the, the, I wanted to live forever part is just, um, yeah, another one of those magic moments that, um, it, it's a pretty, pretty deep experience when you're in it. Um, so thanks Roy Harper for that really. So, uh, and yes. for, uh, slotting that in so beautifully to, to a really great album. Again, I don't think that of that as a cover, technically it is. So we get into uh, the fourth song for this episode. Um, this is um, A Perfect Circle from their second album, 13th Step, which came out. When did that thing come out? 2003. 2003. Kind of also covering, I guess, somewhat contemporary band called Failure. Uh, I'm going to let you take this because I think you're, uh, you're, the, you're the resident Failure fan for sure. Uh, Love I- yeah, and I, well, and I love failure. Um, yeah. Saw him on the reunion tour. Um, this song um, is covered. It's kind of interesting um, I, uh, because there's some direct connection um, between the bands. 
this song, The Nurse Who Loved Me, comes off of Failure's 1996 masterpiece, uh, the great double album, Fantastic Planet. So interestingly, Perfect Circle's Troy Van Leeuwen, um, who is now in uh, Queens of the Stone Age, yep. played with tons of other people, probably um, the leading sartorial superstar in the the rock world <laughs> yeah no doubt <laughs> never never a threat out of place um he was in failure early on um but to my knowledge never recorded with them um mm. at least um in the capacity of a, a band member on an actual album i didn't know that. um so there's yeah. yeah and so there's connectivity there and i think it's really interesting that they took uh, it's great failure song, but they they treat it very very differently. Um, the failure song is it's a rock song, and I mean it's a rock song that is um, done in the typically failure esque um, psychedelic um, sci fi rock mode. Um, at, at, at least as it pertains to Fantastic Planet, um, but. Uh, Perfect Circle reworks it into this, this very dreamlike um, fantasia um, yeah. and, and really sort of maximizes all the potential atmosphere that was in the original. I like it better than the original, but I think it could be my entry into it, which is that um, I knew about failure in the 90s, but I think I had read enough about them, like, you know, in the first instance of hearing their name. And it just didn't sound like I wanted to hear it because it sounded like it was kind of Nirvana-esque. And although I like Nirvana and definitely count myself a Nirvana fan, uh, I didn't like bands that sounded like them. It's the same thing with Pearl Jam. I didn't like anything that sounded remotely like those, you know, kind of originators. Um, So I kind of ignored failure. And then, you know, Perfect Circle definitely latched onto them right away. You know, big Tool fan, big Maynard fan, continue to love Perfect Circle. Uh, I think Eat the Elephant is incredible. Yeah, so this album came out by Perfect Circle, and I didn't really look at the liner notes right away. And this is one where I thought, "Oh my God, this is this is their best song yet." You know, this is better than anything on the <laughs> better than anything on the first album, better than anything on the on this second one. And and just you know, a few listens later, I finally kind of dug into the information on the album, and like, oh, this is a cover, and oh, it's that failure band. And then I you know got to know Fantastic Planet kind of retroactively, you know, kind of later. And uh, although I like it quite a bit, especially the second half, which is where Nurse Who Loved Me is, I think, on that album, it still didn't, yeah, it didn't strike the chord that the Perfect Circle version does. So, For the record, yeah, brace yourself, we agree. (laughs) Really? Oh, okay. Actually, no, and I love the original. Yeah. um, but, But yeah, Perfect Circle turns this song into pure magic. Say hello to the rug's topography It holds quite a lot of interest with your face down on it Say hello to the shrinking in your head You can't see it but you'll know it's there So don't Pharma 
I have always really, really liked the line, say hello to the floor's topography. I mean, <laughs> what a great way to put, I guess, what would be a fainting spell or a collapse yes. or uh, just, you know, obviously someone in a really, really terrible state uh, on the floor looking at the, uh, the floor's topography. I just think that's a brilliant line. And I love that Maynard gets to deliver it there. You know, and he, he, he does it with such conviction. Yeah. Typical, right? I mean, yes. uh, he, he can really bring it out. I think we've said all we can about that one. We're going to keep it on the DL still with uh, the next choice. This is um, Ulver's Solitude. And I say mm. Ulver's Solitude because indeed it's Black Sabbath Solitude. But Ulver made it their own. They picked this song for the perfect album. They did a perfect version of it. It slots right into Shadows of the Sun. And, and this album too. This album has a... a, a sacred quiet still quality about it mm-hmm. um, which makes solitude um such a, a a perfect choice for it this album grows more special to me i think with every year and the uh the chapter on this album in wolves evolve made me revisit it recently bye and- bye bye everybody anybody who likes Oliver uh must must read this book Absolutely. Absolutely. But Espadal's writing on this album is so seductive. Yeah. It has a musical quality about it that, that really captures the the spirit of the album. And um well, I could just really wax ecstatic for hours about um Oliver and this album. I, I mean Everything about it from the recording to the artwork. Uh, I mean, it, it is so perfectly calculated and, and so outrageously executed. Um, I mean, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's odd to say it about, about such a quiet and understated record, but I mean, it is a band firing on every conceivable cylinder, but, <laughs> but, Honestly, after the mania of Blood Inside, where do you go? I think this was a genius response to Blood Inside, yeah. and I because because of that, it took me a while to actually get into, and and I think through uh, Espinal's review of it, basically in Wolves Evolve, and and, and kind of the a lot there, there's copious writing on this album in that book. Um, this is this is probably the album that pops up the most uh, for some reason. It just it I think I think over. Uh, find it to be very special. I think their fans do. I think the author does. And although I've always liked it, I really recently turned a corner with it. And I think also as a lover of just, you know, hi-fi sound and, and texture and just sort of imaging and everything that goes along with that sort of deep kick-ass stereo listening experience, Shadows of the Sun revealed itself recently to me as like one of the best headphone listens that I've ever had. Um, oh. As well as open air. But but it's just, it, it just, the texturally this this album rules you know much less 
if you're into the emotion of it, if you're into the, the arrangement of it or whatever else um, that an album can offer. I just think that the textures and the sounds and the images that you get from it are, you know, worth so much more than what you might pay for it. Uh, yeah. Again, we can wax ecstatic. We are let's, we should dial down the hyperbole a little bit, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, as everybody probably knows, this is from black Sabbath master of reality in 1971 originally, and was a bit of an outlier on that album just because the rest of the album is, is pretty crushing um, save for the two, you know, very brief interludes. Um, it's probably the heaviest album of its day. And then, then they did solitude. And I think Oliver zeroed right in on it and took out all the great aspects of solitude and put it on an album that, you know, where it belongs uh, in that context, just as much as it does in master of reality. My name, it means nothing. My fortune is left. Hey, Hunter, I'm going to test your radical research knowledge. Mm. I believe Ulver is the band that we've probably snippeted and played the most on this podcast. Okay. Uh, episode one was all about the William Blake Ulver. album. The William Blake album. Yeah, all about Ulver. Uh, we played them on Synthors. You, you selected uh, the Future Sound of Music uh, for that. Mm. We played them on the Bad Productions bad in quotes episode we played something from Naughton's madrigal didn't we play them again before solitude or not or am i you're drawing a blank i am well this might be the this is the fourth time i i i thought there was maybe at least the fourth time at least the fourth possibly there was possibly another uh before this but anyway 
We love Oliver. Let's move on. They'll, they'll, they'll come back. Yeah, they, they will definitely come back. We, we will find a way. The Future Heads, Hounds of Love, uh, originally by Kate Bush from her 1985 album of the same name. I would imagine that we have a bunch. In fact, I know we have a number of Kate Bush fans among the Radical Research Legions. Yeah. Um, the kind of artist that's um, uniquely vectored. Do we have legions? What's, what's, like, a, what's like a step down from legions? I don't want to sound too haughty. What, what's a step down? How, from how, about, how about listeners? Because <laughs> <laughs> like, minions would be even worse. Minions. No, uh, anyway, legions. We'll go with legions. Fuck it. Go ahead. Right. Sorry. Sorry. She's the kind of artist that is uniquely vectored to the taste of um, your radical research listener. Um, Already ambitious, shape-shifting, um, a, a real auteur in, in every sense of the word and in, in the really kind of in the tradition of artists like uh, David Bowie and Scott Walker and Bjork, you know, yeah. again, yeah. all the touchstones for the radical research ecosystem. And um, I, I, as a Kate Bush fan, think that Hounds of Love is her, her masterpiece. Um, I think that's kind of the consensus mm -hmm. um, that she's got a, you know, a, a wealth of, of great music um, to her credit. And Future Heads, um, I was hesitant to get into Future Heads because they came out of that sort of post-punk revival that happened in the early 2000s. Um, and I, at the time, um, was sort of dunderheaded and obstinate and wanted to hear the future and, and not the future heads. <laughs> I, I, you know, and the idea of like another skinny tie kind of eighties aping band just didn't appeal to me at all. And Matt Johnson finally convinced me to pick up the album. Matt of uh, the band Pharaoh used to write for metal maniacs, great friend of ours. Big dumb, um, big dumb skulls.com. Big dumb. Yes. Big dumb skulls, uh, council <laughs> member. Um, no, 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 no. Let me correct you. He's not a council member. He's, he's, he's merely a minion of the council. Oh, he and I are, are, are mere minions, mere vessels. If you, know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never got a copy of the, uh, the big dumb skulls org chart. So I didn't know. Well, it's, 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 it's a highly, now, arcane, now you know. it's a highly arcane, uh, area. So, um, any, anyhow, sure. let's move on. <laughs> but he insisted that I buy this record and even described it in the very unappealing terms. He compared them something like, um, to the, the jam meets early Joe Jackson, um, which early seem, Joe Jackson. Okay. Yes. Early Joe Jackson. All right. Not that bullshit later stuff. <laughs> I, yeah. You're, 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 you're losing me, brother. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I, and I know, have I, five, I have five squeeze albums. So it's not like I can't hang with the jam. I have, um, I have one squeeze album. Okay. But anyway, because then you're just going to get me talking about throbbing gristle and lie. <laughs> um, but but I trust Matt, and this had come off. Matt had actually been the one to recommend that I buy uh, the first Mars Volta record. So Matt had built up a lot of goodwill with me, and I took his word for it. 
and I'm glad I did because I absolutely loved the first Future Heads record. Super catchy, tightly written songs, lots of energy, very, very British. Um, and not a band that I would think would cotton to um, the, uh, the grandiosity of Kate Bush. Yeah, well, let's check it out because that is an odd thing. And that's, that's the thing that I thought with uh, familiarizing myself with Future Heads was, wow, that was pretty brave on the first album that they did to um, do something by, so beloved by Kate, right. Bu- by, by Kate Bush, yeah. pretty well known and, and kind of nailing it. <laughs> really yeah totally uh, here we go future heads hounds of love when i was a child running in the night i was afraid of what might hiding in the dark and hiding on the streets man of what was following me Obviously, a decidedly different treatment than the original. Yes. Yeah. And they, they made it a future head song. Pretty incredible. I wonder what Kate Bush thinks about it. You know, I actually. Um... You just texted her? <laughs> I actually tried to find out that detail and was unsuccessful. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Because mm. I, I was also very curious. Yeah, that's a whole other thing, too. I wonder what some of these original artists think about some of these versions. Do you have any idea what maybe Atlanta Rhythm Section thinks about Shudder to Think So Into You? (laughs) I actually couldn't find anything about or by an Atlanta Rhythm Section member um, on the Internet. Okay. Um, I'm just kidding. Oh, oh, where do you, yeah, where do you get your bands? Yeah, that's that's an inside joke. We're not going to try to. Uh, explain this to our listeners yeah that's yeah, sorry I, yeah yeah legions <laughs> just yeah re- reach out to us if you're if you're curious about that little one <laughs> yeah so um, yeah we, we get to shudder to think we get and, and they're covering an atlanta rhythm section song yeah. wow you're the georgia boy you got to go on this 
Uh, well, I let me tell you, I'm way more into um, uh, Shudder to Think than I am Atlanta Rhythms. <laughs> right, right. Th- this is uh, one of my favorite rock albums. Um, I'll, I'll just go out there and say it. Uh, probably a top 30 record for me. You mean of all that, time? Uh, yeah. Damn. Yeah, I mean, that, that I, I absolutely worship this record. I love this. Going back, I mean, I've had, I don't know how long I've had this record. And I love it more now than I have ever loved it. We're talking about like, Pony, Pony Express record, 1994. Correct. And yep. it like just punches all the buttons for me. So they take like the most prosaic 70s rock group in Atlanta rhythm section, take one of their songs and and turn it into um, this like very arty, but also sort of voyeuristic and lascivious post-punk song. Which is great because the original has none of that. I mean, the original no. is your, just your kind of like middle of the road fucking, I mean, I, I don't love it. I have to say, I don't love the original. I'm not a ARS no. fan. It's not my style. Yeah. <laughs> It, it just, you know, it, it's just so typical of that kind of, you know, FM rock, yes. middle of the road sort of uh, approach that, uh, you know, I, that I associate with not only them, but like the Doobie Brothers or whoever. Oh, God, no, stop, stop. You're going to get me all worked up. <laughs> 62 episodes in, we finally talk about Bob Dylan and, and uh, Doobie Brothers, right? God. I mean, what are you, what are you going to do? Worthless fucking shit. Let's just, let's just check out. So into you and we'll, uh, we'll get you. No, I, I, and let, let me back up here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I refuse um, to, um, to impugn Dylan with the same severity as the Doobie brothers. Same. So, same. I mean, it, it's, as much as I hate Dylan, I know. I There's mean, a level of res- respect there. I mean, here, here's, another, here's another cover I wanted to mention that we're not going to play, uh, but Nazareth, uh, their version of the Ballad of Hollis Brown. Ooh. Dude, I mean, Ooh. is that one of the best songs of all time? Yeah, it's incredible. The problem with Nazareth. I didn't think about that. The, well, the problem with Nazareth is, like, we can't say that that's, like, a great album that it's on because well, most Nazareth of their- never had a all-around great album i think hair of the dog is um there's mm-hmm. one song in there i don't care for i think otherwise that's a solid album but other than that nazareth never had a com- completely good album and and that, that's the problem i i, I absolutely thought about hollis brown for this uh but i i encourage anybody to go and check that out that you want to talk about doom and gloom yeah, really and just kind of like getting into this seedy horrible homicidal place it's so 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 dylan inspires that and i think i think people that have covered dylan have done quite a good job over a variety of genres yeah that's why he's better than doobie brothers because i have yet to hear uh i don't know emperor do a doobie brothers song uh or 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 any other great band doing a shit band and doing it well no but nobody seems to cover doobie brothers in our in our world do they that would be um That'd be a tall order, man. <laughs> so let's get back into uh, so <laughs> you shudder to think.
I can't think Nothing else helps But I'm wondering Yeah, I'm wondering How it's gonna be The minute I get you next to me It's gonna be good Don't you know That's um, that makes ARS a little bit higher on our rankings than Doobie Brothers, <laughs> just, just simply because a band took their song and did that. That's great. That's great. I, I, I got a few whiffs of, of a couple bands that you and I like. Fair to Midland. Uh, some of the vocals remind me of, of Darrow. I'd be from yeah, I, Fair I to Midland. I'd be shocked if they weren't into Shudder. Yeah, I, I, I am now thinking Fair to Midland are probably pretty heavily influenced by Shudder to Think. Uh, yeah. So that's interesting. Uh, also, um, I don't know why, just a little bit of nude swirl there. Um, yeah, I can. Yeah. That really wonderful album on Megaforce that we, that we both really like that nobody else does. Yeah, um, search your uh, your bargain bins, folks. <laughs> yeah, and maybe probably a future, in there. Maybe a future episode if we want to lose people in the pyogenesis level. But, uh, <laughs> no, I don't think anybody, any band, is capable <laughs> of alienating our listeners quite like pyogenesis. Yeah. Moving on, we get into the first song we've ever played by Queensrÿche on this podcast. I, you know, it's it surprising we have never played Voivod, but that's going to change real soon. It's surprising we haven't played Fate's Warning. Uh, we, we have to do something about that. And Queensryche. And this is a cover song from their very best album, Await. Oh, Await. Oh, <laughs> you have recently said, changed. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's back up here just to, just to hear. Yes, please. All right, because we might be in the dust up here soon. <laughs> oh. I, I don't believe I said it was that, that Mind Crime was the best one. It was my favorite one. Oh, okay. okay. Your favorite. Best but, and I mean, favorite. Thing, Sometimes look, those are different. We are talking about a filament thin line, like, <laughs> love wise, between Rage for Order and Minecraft. It sounds to me like you're backpedaling toward Rage for Order. I'm just, well, I mean, it's a sign <laughs> of the times, isn't it? <laughs> On any given day, you'll, you'll have us if you play Rage for Order or, or Minecraft, of course. Yeah. So, so we, no, no need to split hairs. Um, but yeah, this was a, such a curious cover on such a curious album and it worked so well. 
And it kind of came out of nowhere. I don't think a lot of people realized it was a cover, you know, I mean, unless you're, you know, looking closely at, at, at songwriting credits, which, you know, people like you and I do, but even people super into that band and album, you know, may not have been. And I think it just right. kind of gained this, this reputation as a, as a bonafide Queensryche song. It, it is not. And it was the video as well. So interesting choice. And here's the other thing about cover songs. A lot of times they are suggestions from the record label. Mm-hmm. You know, a record label wants, you know, I know that happened to Sabotage in the, uh, uh, what's that, uh, Fight for the Rock era. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, bands being forced into covers. And sometimes that works. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't. We'd have something coming up, actually, that that uh, was a record company suggestion that worked beautifully. But with Queensryche, yeah, for some reason, they chose this song called Gonna Get Close to You by an artist named Lisa Del Bello. She released this on her 1984 album. Um, she was going only as Del Bello then. The album has a really strange title called Who Man 4 Says. I'll just let you Google that. And it worked so well and they made a video out of it and it just became this really kind of odd, but I think incredibly likable song. And I also like talking about creepy. I feel like, yeah, this, this song is genuinely so. It's a bit of a stalker anthem. So let's listen to it. And uh, (laughs) yeah, great little subgenre. We'll listen. And uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about. to say that when he would is was at his peak that there's ever been a better metal vocalist than tate 
Uh, I, I'll have to agree. I mean, I think, I think that was a short window, although I love what he yeah. did. You know, I don't even think you could say that about him on Empire, but I think it's a really good album. Promised Land as well. He's expressive as hell there. Love all that stuff. Love the early stuff. But I think there was that, that window of like Rage for Order. Yeah. And, and, and Mind Crime. And Mind Crime, I was going to say, where he is in not only top form, but as you say, one of the absolute, legends of, of metal vocalizing i mean he's up there with yeah. halford on these two on these two absolutely albums. yeah absolutely yeah aggressive plenty of control emotive but, but too, like you you said it too well yeah motive absolutely but you said expressive and he is so i mean the uh, the the desperation um in his high notes uh, during that song yeah. are just unparalleled yeah, no, I, I, I mean, it's, you know, this going to get close to you, cover or not, is one of my favorite uh, Tate performances. And it fits so well on the album. It comes in there uh, late on side one. It um, it fits right into Rage for Order. You can see the guys in Queensryche, and, and they were always kind of broad listeners. You know, they were never mm-hmm. just pure metalheads. And I think in 84, when that Del Bello album came out, you know, I can, I can imagine them going, Oh man, we could really do something with this. And then of course, knowing where they went with rage for order, you know, this production piece that it is, you know, Neil Kernan putting his touch on it. And and I think the band wanting to, to get into something really futuristic sounding, uh, really digital sounding really. um, And it is. Yeah. No, in a good way. All all of this, all of this stuff was good for that album. It's, it's a production piece as much as it is a writing and performance piece. And I think this song fits so well into the scheme of walking the shadows, a new regal, great choice one one of the one of the most seamless cover insertions into an album yep and here's where we might disagree on the next track the gorgoroth cover slotitz Idet fjerna you are probably the world's biggest destroyer fan <laughs> I'm, i've come you you try to mention that that album every episode and i'm just i've just about, i've just about had it and um <laughs> well, hey let's do it one more time then yeah, yeah. So, so of course, when I when I assigned you half of these covers, you came up something from Destroyer that is a hidden track. From <laughs> Technically, it wasn't even like on the original packaging, which kind of goes against what our thing is here with this episode of like you know these covers fitting in so perfectly. Yet, I'm with you. Like, I think that the I think the fact that Gorgoroth took a Dark Throne song from Transylvanian Hunger of all things and made it their own on this incredibly bonkers fucking black metal album, Norwegian to Norwegian. Why not? Right. What exactly? Yeah. So, I mean, they are paying true cause it, it's not an unfaithful cover. Exactly. It pays tribute to possibly the most elemental second wave Norwegian black metal record, as you mm. said, uh, mm. Transylvanian hunger, but it replaces one of the true elements, which is Fenris's sturdy drumming with a drum machine. So there's one perversion. And then they just stack layer upon septic layer of noise and feedback and chaos <laughs> and batshit vocals. And <laughs> well, they that's, just... That's, that's Destroyer, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But I mean, they just, they turn it into this carnival of horrifying excess <laughs> and I, yeah, and 
Well said. If you didn't didn't know, I love this record. (laughs) Yeah, well, let's check it out. But I I mean, Horrifying Excess, that's beautiful. That's that's great. Uh, This is Gorgoroth covering Dark Throne. And and let's note that the Dark Throne song was only four years prior. So, you know, obviously, obviously contemporary. Wow. Yeah. Love it. I mean, and, and thank you for that because I don't think I would have qualified or, or picked that one, but I've always loved it. And uh, I think it's a stealth way to get in a cover that, that, you know, for me now that, that is a part of that album. I mean, I, you know, Oh, I totally think that. Yeah. It's weird that they didn't list it uh, originally. I don't know if reissues have fixed that or not, but um, they, they have. They have okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, they they should have, and and who knows? Maybe that was some like business publishing rights thing. I mean, and it's that wouldn't have been between Dark Throne and Gorgoroth. It would have been between you know businessmen, I suppose. I guess um, Nuclear Blast and Peaceville. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, know, cool folks, but who knows? Yeah. Who knows what the thinking was? And and I think with Gorgoroth, we're we're beyond even trying to second guess their motives and their moves. We, we you know we we try. What's Infernus thinking right now? I have no idea. Might not want to know. He might be texting with John Schaefer at the moment. You're like, man. I have no idea. Chicken or pork? Tofu, buddy. (laughs) Speaking of tofu, let's move to carnivore. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That was unplanned, folks. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. This Jeff Wagner at his radical research unscripted. Uh, we're always unscripted, always unplugged. So Peter Steele, absolutely, in, in all guises, in his carnivore guise, in his typo negative guise, I suppose if Fallout had gone on longer, they would have done the same. They might have mangled up a Cars song or something. But um, yeah. Peter Steele was a master at what we're talking about in this episode of taking a song 
reinventing it, repurposing it for his own needs, his own motives, and putting it on the, you know, smack dab in the middle of albums. There are other examples of great covers that he's reworked, such as uh, Typo Negative's Black Sabbath, uh, both versions. There's the uh, Satanic Perspective and then the, the um, original. There are several, and, uh, but that didn't appear in an album. So we're going we're gonna to look at two Peter Steele songs, the first one being Manic Depression, his cover of the Jimi Hendrix Experience song from uh, 1967's Are You Experienced? A pretty landmark album. And what Carnivore does with this and how it fits on retaliation is something we're going to talk about after we listen. singer but i love that he basically turns that song into um a, an emotional collapse <laughs> i mean that's what retaliation is though yes it is yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it is it's not a well-adjusted album it's a meltdown and the first carnivore was about survival and obviously you know a bit of mad max sci-fi fantasy there uh but all about like just fucking bar- barbaric survival this one turns inward yes Yes. Odyssey in the Iliad, sort of in reverse. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah I, what, what's to say about Pete? I mean, to a hell of a band, one of the most I, musically um, adept of that era's thrash and crossover bands, I think. 
Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I think as instrumentalists, those guys don't get nearly enough credit. Louie is like just an outstanding drummer. Oh, I, I think his stuff in retaliation is amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you could probably pick it apart technically, but, and, and I'm sure like somebody like, I don't know, Mark Zonder might have some problems with it, but so what? You, no, you don't want anybody else on retaliation no other than Louie. He and Pete link up so great on this album as a rhythm section. And Louie brings it so hard. Uh, some of his stuff in ground zero Brooklyn and angry neurotic Catholics, man, that's, <laughs> that's, that's great metal drumming. It just is. I could have, I mean, I, w- I would have liked to have heard Louie and, and typo. Yeah, that would have been cool. I mean, Sal yeah. was no slouch, but um, no, 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 no. But I hear you. I hear you. I w- and and that's the thing about Typo is they were a continuation of Carnivore. You know, Slow Hard exactly. was certainly the more esoteric version of Carnivore. One of the songs, at least, that started as a uh, Carnivore song before Carnivore broke up, uh, and Peter reformed everything and restructured everything and put it back together. And that's a good segue, I suppose, into. And, and by the way, I want to say um, I just love. Peter's vocalizing on manic depression, just that, that pain comes through pretty, pretty absolutely uh, legitimately. You you kind of wonder if he chose that song just as a a vehicle to express some pain that maybe it would have been more difficult to do in an original. Well, you know, at at the time, and I wrote a book on this, but um, he (laughs) yeah, soul on fire. Check it out. Peter steel bio.com. No, I'm not. I don't, um, and you know, those copies are actually out of print, so it would be pointless to huh? mention it. No, I, he, he was manic depressive at that time. So it's, you know, no wonder he chose this and it's no wonder retaliation is what it is, but yeah, we moved to typo negative. And like we said, you know, Peter still loved to reconstruct some of these songs and growing up as, as a kid, he had heard his sister's seals and crofts records and heard summer breeze. And that was a huge hit in the 70s. I don't know when that came out. 76, I think. Seals and Cross was 72, Summer Breeze. Uh, uh, no, just edit me out there. No, that, no, that's fine, man. We, we can be wrong about Doobie Brothers and Seals and Cross. Yeah, no, fuck Seals and Cross. No big deal. By the way. <laughs> but uh, it, it, was a, it was self-titled, Summer Breeze, and um, huge hit. Typo originally reworked the song as Summer Girl uh, with some really graphic lyrics uh, he threw, uh, I know Kenny, uh, the guitarist, is mentioned in, in the lyrics. So basically he changed a lot of the lyrics from the original. At the, the 11th hour, they couldn't get the publisher's permission to run with that version. Uh, so they had to revert back to the original lyrics and call it Summer Breeze instead of Summer Girl. Uh, Summer Girl is out there. I, I don't know if it's on YouTube or not, but uh, <clears throat> I considered playing that here. But, you know, we're, we're talking about how it fits on an album. And Summer Breeze is on an album called Bloody Kisses, which um, did pretty good business in 1993 and 1994 and 1995. Uh, <laughs> it did really, really well. Eventually went platinum, I believe. Wow. You know, what can we say about Bloody Kisses and how Summer Breeze fits into that? Well, you, you, and, I, you and I have divergent opinions on the superior version of this album. Oh, but okay. Here's, yeah. here's one thing that I think we can agree on. This song works beautifully on both versions. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, we're talking about, yeah, how, Bl- how Bloody Kisses was kind of reissued. They took away some of that more hardcore carnivore sounding stuff, uh, replaced it with a song called Suspended in Dusk, uh, slightly different cover, 
Yeah, you like that version better. I like the original. We both agree that Summer Girl, sorry, Summer Breeze slots in there beautifully on, on both versions. And, and I agree. It's, it's, um, it was made into a typo song. This is exactly the kind of thing we're talking about. It really bears very little resemblance to the original other than the lyrics. And we will check that out for evidence. intersection between doom 70s aor and project it's pete steel project good one yeah and it's you know it's always a joy to hear those completely fried out solid state guitar and bass tones oh yeah um, but but for me uh josh's keyboards and pete's backing vocals on that are just transcendent um there's something sort of chintzy about Josh's keyboard tones on that record, but they were like, they've actually aged really, really well. For me yeah. I think, least. I think that's deliberate. I think that's sort of a, yeah, I, I, I think they are supposed to be that. 
uh, I think it's kind of a foil to the heaviness of a lot of this, yep. the rest of this album, uh, especially the version that you prefer, you know, which is a really heavy album. You know, I mean, there's always, uh, very little levity on it. You know, you, of course, you always have the Beatles-esque elements in typo, but you also have the Black Sabbath, you know. Yep, and, always. And they just sort of had a sonic palette that was unlike anything out there, you know. Um, Still, nobody's duplicated. No, and, and when, when people have even tried to get close, it's it just comes across pretty empty. Um, you know, genius is genius, and the leader of that band was one of them. And um, these are production... Uh, pieces as well Mike Marciano and Systems 2 and, and all of that um, yeah Dude. we could we could go on and maybe we will on a future maybe episode. we'll do a Systems 2 show <laughs> I know you've been dying to talk about that second pissed on record <laughs> no but okay <laughs> uh, so we move on to um, a band that's been mentioned here every now and then a band we hold very dear uh, and probably for me, maybe the greatest example of all uh, of a band just owning a cover. And in fact, I've always preferred Voivod's version of Astronomy Domini over Pink Floyd's. That might be heretical in some corners, but I don't really care. They just made it into a Voivod song. They just made it into a nothing face highlight they just made it work it's the third song in the album you know interestingly enough this was somewhat of a label suggestion you know i i don't know if voivod would have gotten there without the label uh they wanted they had just gotten signed to mca so they're on this mechanic mca thing the label says hey you know it's kind of you know a lot of bands like you are doing covers you know like would you guys be interested in a cover and mm-hmm. you know that sort of crap and they were like yeah sure and they looked to Pink Floyd, you know, which I think made a ton of sense for that band at that time. Uh, and they came up with this and they made a video out of it and they still play it live to this day. They've even dropped tribal convictions at a lot of shows. There are a lot of tour legs, but they still keep astronomy in the set. What have you to say about, about this? Not much more than what you've already said. I mean, it's a definitive moment in the career of Voivod. And you know, it's such a such a cold clinical record, and they managed to take this slice of '60s psychedelia and turn it into something that is just irrefutably voivod and voivod of this time. But the voivod of this time also works that tension that we mentioned at the beginning of the show with Anacrusis between distance and emotion. And there's a real tug at the heart of this song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. And it's not like the original is a slouch. I mean, if you consider that oh, this, no. this opened up the first Pink Floyd album in 67, like this is, this is pretty landmark stuff for them. So I don't mean to shit all over early Pink Floyd. Like we're not, we're not into that. We, we love that stuff. Uh, we're, not, we're not trying to say that it's like less than. It's just that Astronomy by Voivod was so commanding on nothing face and continues to be such a huge part of a huge album uh, for a lot of us. And uh, we're going to go out on, uh, on this note and I don't think there's much more to say about it, but thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back with a few uh, PSs after, after we listen to a little bit of uh, astronomy Domine. 
flicker, 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 flam, pow. I do have one more thing to say about that, <laughs> as you might have imagined. I, I think it succeeds also because not just the production, not just the treatment of the song itself, but because Voivod was one of those bands where each of the four members, each of the members contributed so much to the end result. And I think we get a lot of space on something like astronomy for them to be able to do that. You know, uh, I think, I think every, each of the four members sort of features on that song at one point or another. Uh, and a lot of the times in tandem, that's just one of the reasons for, I think, I think it's success as a, as a cover. And, you know, two albums later on, on the outer limits in 93, you know, they did pink, another Pink Floyd song, the Nile song, that's and cool. it's fine but it, it doesn't quite achieve the sort of masterful like necessity on that album that astronomy is on nothing face. Yeah. I mean, and, and auto limits is great. We wouldn't take anything away from it, but I think if you took away Nile song, we'd be fine with the record as was I, you know, it, it um, they weren't able to recreate uh, what astronomy did for them. Thanks for listening. This has been fun. We want to thank John McCarthy, Jared Moore, and Owen McCloskey for the recent purchases on RadicalResearch.org. You can find books, CDs, and shirts there, and of course, all episodes since the very first one. Episode 63 finds us in, I believe for the first time, Australia. Have we done an Australian show yet? No. We're not going to actually be but in we, Australia. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I love Australia. Yeah. But not, not a lot of radical research fodder coming out of Australia. Probably not. I mean, we have, we have Stargazer. We, we have a few more we could mention. We have to mention Sadistic Execution, right? But we're going to cover uh, just – we're going to go here and there with the uh, discography and various works by a band called Alchemist. Very much beloved by Hunter and I. Please join us then to visit uh, some really, really special metal from this really, really special band from Down Under.